Good morning, Moraine Valley. You all doing well? It's great. You know, when, uh, whenever Kim and I go and visit a new city, we always, uh, one of the first things we do is we take what they call a big bus or a red bus tour. Do, do, have any of you done that before? Know what that is? Raise your hand if you know what that is. Okay, a few of you, and that's, uh, you'll, you're going to understand a little bit more about that today because we're going to take a big bus tour. And uh, what, what we do is this. It, it's one of those things, and I think there's a picture of one right up here behind me. Maybe you've seen them driving around Chicago. They're in every big city. And what we do is we uh, get there and we get a ticket to take the red bus or the big bus tour. And we always uh, go on there and we sit there and we take one full turn around the city. And what they do is this. They take you to the high points of interest in that city. They put a map in your hands so you can see what they are and get a sense of bearing of where they're at. And there's a narrator that tells you and explains the history and the importance of that particular place. Well, you know, today we're going to do a big bus or a red bus tour of the book of John. And what we do, and by the way, I forgot to tell you, the, these hop on and offs is after you take that one tour, get the lay of the land, then we usually go around the second time and we got a point of interest. We say, we want to hop off right here and look at this one because that one interests us. And then we get back on when another bus comes by, maybe an hour or two after we've been there, and then we go to another place. So there might have been 14 to 16 points of interest, but there were three that really grabbed our hearts. And so we jump off and jump on to be able to look at those closer. And today we're going to start the book of John, and we're going to do it like a big bus or a red bus, a hop on and off bus kind of tour. Today's going to be that first day where we take a trip around the entire book of John to get the lay of the land. Then in weeks to come, we're going to jump off and take a closer look at some of the major themes in the book of John. And then that's going to be followed by getting off and taking a walking tour of the upper room discourse as we look real close at what Jesus had to say to his disciples there before he went to the cross. And I'm gonna be the narrator, but this chart and what I'm gonna share with you today, I hope is the intellectual property that you will need to be able to navigate the book of John yourself and to hop off where you want to hop off in the points of interest for you. So today we're going to get that sense of bearing, and I want to equip you because I'll tell you something. As I've been reading the book of John in preparation for this, i got to tell you, you don't know how many times my, I've stopped and gone, wow. And I've gone, wow, about Jesus and who he is. And I, I've been praying, I, I think of that old song that we might see him more clearly and love him more dearly. And when you go through the book of John, you're going to see Jesus very clearly in, in, a, in a light that maybe we haven't seen him in the other Gospels. And so today I'm going to introduce you to it, going to give you the map, going to give you a little narration, but I hope that you'll be able on your own to go back into the book of John and read it during this time because your heart will be blessed. You know, when I was in seminary, all the way through, I wrestled about my thesis, master thesis. 
And there were two books that really intrigued me that I wanted to do. And I, I wasn't sure which one to do. And I was up to my junior year and still trying to say, Lord, where would you have me go? One was the book of Ecclesiastes and the other was the book of John. We want to talk about God's grace, at least it was to me. In the final year of seminary, they stopped doing thesis. So I, I got, thank you, Jesus. You know, I got out without having to do a thesis. But last year, we did Ecclesiastes in the summer, and this year in the summer, we're going to do John. So this is my master thesis time and, and an opportunity to do what I wrestled with through seminary. And um, like I said, we're going to hop on and off in the book and do that. And the reason why John intrigued me so much is this. It's different than the other three Gospels. As a matter of fact, I think they said 93% of the material in the book of John is not found in the Gospel or the other three Gospels, which they call the synoptics. But John is unique in itself. There's material in the other three that you don't find in the book of John. For instance, in, in the other three Gospels, they start with Jesus' genealogy and his birth. And they go into this baptism, the temptation, the casting out of demons, parables, the transfiguration, the institution of the Lord's Supper, his agony in Gethsemane, and his ascension. Now, those aren't in the book of John. Those are the other three. Now, what John has that the other three don't have is this. Rather than beginning with Jesus' birth in Bethlehem like the other three, John goes back to Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. And that's where John takes Jesus and doesn't connect him so much to his earthly life right here, but he's connecting him all the way back and starting with Jesus and really going to be connecting with the deity because in the beginning was God. And we're seeing the minute in the beginning was Jesus. So this book takes us all the way back to creation as its starting point. There's extended dialogues in the book of John that you find no place else. There's the dialogue with Nicodemus in chapter 3. In chapter 4, there's that extended dialogue with the Samaritan woman at the well. We're going to see extended discussions with him and the religious leaders that maybe we got a little glimpse of in the other Gospels. John's going to open that up and give us more of it. We're going to see the extended discussion that Jesus had with his disciples in the upper room, which is recorded no place in the other three Gospels. And even during his trials, the extended discussion he had with Pilate, again, we just see phrases, little lines of that, but we're going to see a little bit more of what Jesus and Pilate talked about in the Gospel of John. There's miracles that are only in the book of John. I think there's, I don't know if I have my numbers totally accurate, but I, I've read, I think there's some place between 35 to 40 miracles in the Gospels. John takes only seven of those miracles and he, for a special purpose, uses those. But there's miracles in John that we see no place else. Turning the water into wine at the wedding. We don't see that in the other Gospels. We see the healing of the nobleman's son, the lame man at Bethesda walking, raising Lazarus from the dead. But here's one that I guess that always intrigued me with the book of John. 
It may intrigue some of you. Um, John gets into the head of Jesus. He gets into the way Jesus thinks. He gets into the explanations of, of Jesus in his own words about who he is. And, and while many of the other gospels focus on what he does with some phrases about him, this one really focuses on who he is and what he says and, and really what the deep thinking of Jesus. And so this is a book that's always intrigued me for that purpose. And here's a, a stream that is unique to John that if for no other reason, it should really lead you into worship personally and during this series, is in this book, Jesus reveals his unique, intimate relationship with the Father. And he claims his own deity. In his own words, he tells you, I am God. And so we see in this book how Jesus and the Father relate to one another, which we see in no other place, and we see about Jesus' own deity. And what this does for us in a unique way, the book of John gives us insight into the Trinity like you'll find no place else. Because as we see the way that the Father and the Son relate to one another, and we see the claims that Jesus is God himself, that he and the Father are one. If you see me, you've seen the Father. We begin to understand the oneness of the essence of God, but the three persons and how they relate to one another. Now, I'll warn you beforehand, you'll understand more about the Trinity, but we'll never fully understand it. But you know what? We're gonna get a few more handles to help us get a little bit of understanding on the Trinity, the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the one God in three persons, and we're gonna see how they function and relate to one another in the Gospel of John. So that's what's intrigued me about this book. And those are unique things that as you dig into the book, you begin to see. And the purpose of this book is stated clearly. He makes it easy for us. Now, in many books of the Bible, he doesn't tell us why he wrote the book. And so we gotta be like a good investigator, like CSI or something, we're looking for all the clues. Uh, here's a clue, and here's a clue, and now I put all these together, and now I'm making my best guess at what I believe is the reason why he wrote this book. And so that's what we do with many books of the Bible. But John leaves no question why he wrote the book and explains to us very clearly why he wrote the Gospel of John. So turn to John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, and let's see what that is. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. He says this, and you know, as I read this, I want you to watch for the word that, a simple little conjunction that indicates purpose. And so we're gonna see the purpose why John wrote this. He says, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written. Now the signs are the miracles that Jesus did. 
And so one of the things you're going to find, and we're, we're going to, matter of fact, we're going to look next week. That's one of our hop-offs on this bus tour. We're going to look at the miracles of Jesus next week and the signs and what we learn from them. But we see that John took the miracles of Jesus and he recorded those miracles, in particular those seven miracles, for a specific purpose. But these miracles have been written so that, here's your first that, here's the first reason, so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that, here's the second one, and that believing you may have life in his name. So John, and I, I just want to encourage you, as you read through this, put on the lens of these two verses. You'll be amazed how much sense the book of John makes to you and how clear and how repeatedly you see these themes. The miracles of Jesus followed by explanations of Jesus, what these miracles, revelations into who he is and proofs that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And so as you look at the book of John through this lens, these miracles are designed so that people would know that Jesus is the Christ. Now, you guys who've been with us at Moraine know who the Christ is. We did a series last fall, the big story of the Bible, and we know that the story of the Old Testament, there was a promised one that God had promised is going to come to be the king, not only of Israel, but of all the world. And he was going to be the savior. And so this Christ, the Messiah, the promised one that God had written about over and over again in the Old Testament, had promised the people. What John is saying is that these miracles are written to prove that Jesus is that one who was promised in the Old Testament to come. He is the Messiah. He is the King. He is the Savior. And then he says this, the Son of God. What he's saying here is, is that the Messiah is the Son of God. He's further, he's further defining for us that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now we're going to look at that term the son of God in two weeks as we jump off because this is big in the gospel of John but simply it means this that Jesus is God when Jesus we saw this on Easter what happened when when Jesus called God his own father they said that they they sought to kill him because he was making himself equal with God we see this in other portions of Scripture. We see it throughout the book of John. Jesus claims very clearly he is God. This Messiah is God himself, the Son of God. And if you struggle with the Son of God concept, it's very fair to say it this way, God the Son. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we say the Son of God, we kind of try to figure out how does all that work, and we'll talk about that in two weeks. But one thing we see in this book from start to finish and throughout is that Jesus, the Messiah, is God himself. Now turn back, as we start with this right in the um, prologue, which is right at the start of the book. John chapter one. 
I probably should have told you keep a finger. I don't know. We'll see. I'll go. We don't need to go back. I think I covered what I needed to there. But in John chapter 1, starting off this whole prologue from verses 1 to 18 that introduces the book to us, gives us a sense of where it's going and what it's about. And he starts off right in the very first verse, in the beginning was the word. Takes us back to Genesis 1.1. Remember, he's connecting them all the way back. He's not going to the idea of Bethlehem here now. He's going back to Genesis 1.1, the beginning. And in the beginning was the word. And we know as we read on in this passage that word was Jesus because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So you need to understand he's talking about here, in the beginning was Jesus. And the word, Jesus, was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. You know, this is the first hint to a trinity, by the way. Because <laughs> here you've got Jesus was with God. But also Jesus was God. So he was with somebody. He was with the Father but he also was God himself in the beginning. And, it, and then he goes on and says this in verse three, three, all things came into being through him. And apart from Jesus, nothing came into being that has come into being. Who's the creator? God, right? What's this passage saying right here? Jesus was the creator. We see that in other passages of Scripture. We also see in Scripture that the Father and the Holy Spirit had parts and the Trinity was all involved in creation. I like that word, all things came into being through him. Jesus was the agent through whom God worked to bring creation together. And so we see right from the beginning, John's making it very clear that this Jesus is God the Son. He is God. He was in the beginning. He's eternal. He's the creator. He was with the Father. Now look at down in verse 14. As we continue on in this prologue, as he begins to wrap it up, he says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory. Now this word, this one who was in the beginning with God and who was God, who was the creator of all things, he became flesh, he became a man, God became a man, fully God, fully man, and they beheld his glory. And then he describes what his glory was like. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father. Only begotten basically means the one and only one of a kind. The glory they saw in Jesus was the one of a kind of a glory it's from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, the scripture is very clear that God shares his glory with no one. Yet Jesus came with all the fullness of the glory of the Father. Again, you know, you read this, you can't help but say, wow, Jesus, 
said this couple weeks ago, he's not a second-class citizen in the Trinity. Fully God, fully equal to the Father. Yes, different functions and roles, and that's what we'll learn in John. We're gonna see he's fully God, fully equal with the Father. To see him is to see the Father. Him and the Father are one, absolutely God. But we're gonna see in this book different ways how they relate to one another and how Jesus lives in subordination and dependence upon the Father, but at the same time is fully equal to him. And I gotta tell you, one of the values of Moraine Valley is right at the heart of God's glory, grace and truth. There's a lot of people that have a lot of grace, but they're kind of weak and watered down on the truth. There's others that are real strong on the truth and they have no grace. The heart of God, grace and truth kissing one another. They become one. And the very heart of Jesus, what they saw was someone who brought grace and truth to them. Look at, down, uh, look at in verse 16. goes on to talk a little bit about this. For of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. You know what he's saying here? First, a grace upon grace, the best picture I ever heard about this, is kind of like sitting at the beach and you're about on the edge of the, the, a big lake or the ocean and one wave comes in and when that wave gets done, there's another wave that comes in and when that wave gets done, another wave comes in. It's grace for grace, grace upon grace. You know, so what we do is we really live from one grace to the next. The grace I need right now to preach is a different grace I'm gonna need right now to meet second hour with a couple that I'm going to be meeting with. And it's a different grace that I'm going to need to be the kind of husband that Kim needs today. And it's a different kind of grace I need to be the kind of pastor you need outside of the, you follow what I'm saying? We live from grace to grace. Every breath of our life is dependent upon the grace that comes from Jesus. Grace, our free gift, another way to say it, God's riches at Christ's expense. Everything I need in life, he's my all in all. And Jesus came, and of his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. And then he goes on and says, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. It became real. They were seen, put into action. Wonder what it looks like in flesh and blood. Now it came into practice grace and truth as we saw in the person of Jesus. He became flesh. And we beheld his glory, glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Then he comes down to verse 18 as he finishes up the prologue and says this. No one has seen God at any time. God is invisible. He's spirit. That's his nature. The only begotten God. Now, I know some translations say son, some say God. Um, I'm not a textual critic, so I don't know which was original, but the, the point of the passage moves on to say this. The only begotten Son of God, which means God anyhow, or whether you take it as the only begotten God, he says this, 
that Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father, that means he's intimately related to the Father in a love relationship. He has explained him. Jesus came to explain the Father. And again, we see this in the book of John, you know, over and over again. We'll look at this throughout, you know, in weeks to come. But we keep on seeing Jesus say, you know, the works that I did are the works that the Father does. The words that I speak, I did not speak my own. They're the Father's words. I didn't come of my own initiative. The Father, he sent me. And we start to see Jesus displaying God for us as he's walking on earth in flesh, and he's explaining to us what God is like. Now, the word explain, very interesting, is the word that we get exegete from. So some of you that are interested in those kind of thoughts, what they call exegesis of the passage or exposition. Now, for some, when they think of exegete, they think of verse by verse. So that would mean that Jesus, verse by verse, explained the Father, if that's what exegete means. That is not what exegete means. Exegete means to explain out of something. It is ex out of. Ice is in too. So when somebody is eisegesing, they're reading their thoughts and their experiences and their understanding into the text. Exegesis is taking out of the text the meaning of the text. And Jesus, who's intimately related to the Father and is that close, he's, 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 right, he's one with the Father. He's, taking the very, he's very God of very God and taking that and explaining to us who God is. And so this book of John is just an unbelievable book to understand Jesus like we never understood him before, to walk away in wow, in awe, and worship of Jesus because he explains to us who God is. And he did it in flesh for us, full of grace and truth. And then there's a second, yeah, that's the reason why I wanted to stay in John 20. There is a second reason in there. So if you go back to John 20, just real quick again, verse 31. That's the first reason why John has written this book. So that you might believe. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one from God, who is God the Son, who's God himself, the Son of God. And then that believing you may have life in his name. That's the second half of this. I didn't just, yeah, I believe Jesus. You know, as we read through the book, we understand that Jesus, and we understand here again, believing in Jesus, believing in his name, who he is and what he's done is the way that a person comes into life. That'll be the third hop off. So next week, we're going to hop off on miracles. The week after, we're going to hop off on the Son of God. The week after that, we're going to hop off of believing in his name. And those are the main reasons why this book were written. So that we could know, and not just intellectually know, but be convinced to the point that I believe it. And then believe it to the point that I rely upon him 
for my salvation and I have his life. Because guess what? He is the life. So now what is this life isn't some spiritual commodity over here. We find out that life, Jesus, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We see in John 1 in the prologue that talked about that in him was life. That's the very next verse after verse 3. And so now we see so that we can have the very life of God come into us and live inside of you and me. These are amazing truths in the book of John. And I, I'm excited as we move into it. I hope you'll do it on your own. Let's pull out that chart for just a second. So if you want to navigate further on your own, which I hope you do, this will give you a little direction. We're going to start with a chart on the one side here. It's up, if you can see it up top there. It starts with a prologue. Jesus is God in flesh. Then is what they call the book of signs. In chapter 1, verses 19 through chapter 12, that's where the miracles of Jesus are recorded. These seven miracles that are used, and they're often followed by discourses where Jesus explains the meaning or the significance of that miracle. You also see in, this chapter, in these chapters a contrast between, and it's a growing contrast between those who accepted Jesus and those that were hostile to Jesus, those who believed and those who didn't believe. So if you read this first section, watching for these miracles and the discourses that go along with them, then we see this growing, either believing and accepting Christ or getting more hostile and rejecting and not believing in him. Then we move into chapter 13 to 17, and this is uh, his ministry to the disciples. And while the first one is more public to everybody, this one now he gets private and he's just with his guys up in the room. And I, I, I kind of broke it down into two things, the upper room and on the way to the garden. Because at some point in John, Jesus leaves that last supper and is heading to the garden. And some of the truths that we learned there come out of there. And we're looking forward. That's where we're going to camp this summer as we take a walking tour of the upper room discourse. And then the last part I call the passion and glory of Jesus. We start in verses, or chapters 18 and 19. We see his betrayal, his arrest, his trials, his denial, the cross, and his burial. Then in chapter 20, the resurrection. Chapter 21 is the epilogue where we see appearances of Jesus that took place after his resurrection. So if you look underneath there, in chapters 1 through 12, this is written so you might believe. So you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Chapters 13 following are so that you might have life. We see in uh, chapters 1 through 12, Jesus is claiming over and over again that he and the Father are one. Well, here's the amazing truth in the Upper Room Discourse. Jesus says, he and the Father and us as believers are one. 
That's amazing truth. I can't wait till we jump into that one and continue to learn together about the fact that there's a oneness that we have with Jesus that's so deep that it's hard, it's as hard to explain, explain as the Trinity because the oneness that Jesus shares with the Father is the oneness that Jesus shares with us. And so there we see now that it's not just Jesus and the Father one, but the believers are one with them. I say the last part is Jesus is the substitute because when he goes to the cross and the resurrection, Jesus did that for us. And by God's grace, we were joined together with him in that. In chapters one through 17, we see the seven I am's. Josh, you talked about the sevens. You know, we got the seven signs, we got the seven I am's. I wonder if there's some significance to that. And so here we got the seven I am's where Jesus, and the Jews know exactly what he said when he said that I am. He's referring back to Exodus when, when God said to Moses, and Moses says, well, what's your name? He says, I am, that's my name. And when Jesus said, I am, the Jews knew exactly who he was claiming to be. And so Jesus, as the great I am, and specific aspects of what he does is the great I am. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door to God. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection of life. I'm the way, the truth, the life, and I'm the true vine. Now, the first 12 chapters are between three and three and a half years. Here's an interesting thing. Chapters 13 to 19 are one day, 24 hours. So a lot of material about what took place from the time of the Passover. Because, you know, the Jewish day starts at sunset of that day and goes to sunset. The next day, the Last Supper, Jesus with his disciples started at sunset he was dead before sunset and buried before sunset the next day. And then the last two chapters happened over a few weeks before he ascended into heaven with different appearances. First 12 chapters, Jesus is going back and forth between Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. The rest of the book takes place in Jerusalem. Again, starts with the public ministry the disciples, it's his private ministry. I call the last part his worldwide ministry because as he went to the cross and resurrection, he did that for the whole world. So that's a little chart to help you get a visual of this book as you read it. On the back, I have an outline. I won't go through that in detail. Just tell you, it starts with a prologue. Then Jesus is presenting himself through his miracles then the third point, he's, he's preparing his disciples in the upper room discourse. Then we see Jesus' prayer in John 17, Jesus' passion. And I did real good with peace. I did prologue, presentation, preparation, prayer, passion, and resurrection. I couldn't find a P for that one. But we have the resurrection of Jesus in 20 through 21. I hope this will be a tool you'll keep you can use, it should, and I, I gotta tell you, I, I plugged into a million different resources. I love what Pastor Johnson taught me years ago. He said, milk a lot of cows, but make your own butter. At the time, I milked a lot of cows to get this, but this is my own butter in the end. And so um, this, this is a tool for you, hopefully, that can help you as you go through John. And it, this is what excites me, as you go through John, you're going to know Jesus better.
And you're going to understand his relationship to the Father better. And like I said, my prayer, if we see him more clearly, that we would love him more dearly. So my hope in this series is this. First of all, those who don't know Jesus, who are among us, and maybe you've been one of them that's been coming for a while and you kind of really don't know Jesus yet, my hope is you'll see Jesus for who he is. He is the Messiah. He's the one who came to be the king and the savior. And he is the son of God. And I'm hoping that when you see that, it drives you to believing in his name for that life. So it's not just enough to us, oh yeah, Jesus is God, oh yeah, Jesus is the Messiah, but believing in his name, relying upon him, putting my trust in him is what gives me life. And if you're here today and say, man, I'm not sure I really know that, but I want that. There'll be people up here afterwards, come on up, please talk to us because uh, that's what we're here for, to help people find life in Jesus and then how to walk in that life afterwards. But if you're a believer, I'm hoping one of two things happens. We see it near the end of the book. Thomas, he was doubting that Jesus really rose from the dead. Um, other disciples heard the report and they were excited and believed, but Thomas said, unless I see him and put my fingers in his hand and in his side, I'm not gonna believe. Well, Jesus showed up to him and he said, Put your fingers in my side, my hands. And Thomas fell before the Lord and said, my Lord and my God. I'm hoping if there's any doubt or unclarity in your mind as to who Jesus is, by the time you get done here, like Thomas say, my Lord and my God. My Lord is this, the Lord is the Master, the ruler, the one who calls the shots, the one who we submit to. And we saw Jesus submitting to the Father as an example for us on how to walk. But what we see here is, is that he saw Jesus as his Lord, his King, his Messiah, the one he needs to submit to and obey and follow and live under his lead. And my God, the one he worships. And I'm hoping that if there's anybody here with unclarity about Jesus, that it comes so clear that we can't help but say, my Lord and my God. And we don't just sing it, we don't just say it, but we drop on our knees before Jesus, say, my Lord, my God. And here's the other piece. Peter. There may be some here like Peter. What I love, I love to look at the start of the book and the end of the book and see what's different at the start and the end. That usually tells me a lot about what's going on. And you know what happened at the start of the book? We read this earlier, remember? Of his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace, remember? Through Jesus, truth and grace were realized. And so we see the glory of God. We see Jesus who displayed and put on display the very heart of God, his grace and his truth. He's the one who, we, who brought grace to grace. And Peter, 
denied the Lord three times in the midst of Jesus' sufferings. And we know that Peter went out and felt shame. And then when they were, after the resurrected Jesus came and they were at the lake and they were fishing, and Peter recognized it was Jesus, he ran to the shore and what did Jesus do? Three times, he reinstated Peter to his mission to work for Jesus. You know, he said this after Jesus. He says, you know, do you, do you love me more than these? And I think what he was referring to is that because when he said this, you know, if everybody else denies you, I never will, Lord. And then Jesus said, well, three times for the cock rose tonight. But so I think that these are the other disciples that are there. So he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. Now, Jesus asked, do you agape me? Now, when Peter responded, he said, phileo, yeah. You, maybe he loves a little. He said, I love you that much, a little bit to you. I'm your friend, Jesus. I love you like a friend. Jesus said, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? So I said, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you, friend. He said, what, shepherd my sheep? He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Peter was grieved because he said the third time, do you phileo me? He said, yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. And Jesus said to him, tend to my sheep. Can I tell you what's so encouraging about Peter? Denied the Lord three times. Claimed, man, I love you. You know, how many of us, Lord, I, how many of us sing it? We stand up and declare, Jesus, I'm all yours. I'm gonna follow you to the end. I'll die for you if I have to die. And then all of a sudden we fail along the way. And there's some who have failed and feel so much shame and they've fallen so far away. I wanna tell you what, grace upon grace, we'll find in the book of John, and you're gonna be a person who maybe has fallen away from Jesus. And like Peter, Jesus wants you to know today that you can have a ministry again, tending and feeding his people, bringing his gospel to the lost, fully stated out of forgiveness and love and fullness of his grace. So my, I want to encourage you today, as we go through the book of John, hopefully we're going to see Jesus more clearly and we're going to experience his grace more deeply. And you can't help but love and worship a Jesus like that. Let me close in prayer. Father, I want to thank you for this book of John. I want to thank you for the way that you have used it in my life. And again, even recently, as I've come back to prepare for this, Lord, you have thrilled my heart. You've made me bow and worship of Jesus and say, wow, Lord, I, uh, you, you've elevated Jesus in my mind. And I want to thank you for that. And I want to pray for my brothers and sisters that God, during this series, we would see you so clearly that like Thomas, we'd say, my Lord and my God. And Father, those of us who are where Peter is, I ask that your grace 
would penetrate and transform and set us back on our feet and back on the path to the glory of God. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.